For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a special extended edition of Jacksonville's Morning News on News 104.5 WOKV. Now live from the Herald and Herald Performance Studio, here's your host, Rich Jones. Welcome in. We're in the Herald and Herald Performance Studio for an important reason, and we wanted to spend the next hour really digging deep into, kind of through a local lens, lessons that have been learned already and uh, some of what can be applied for the better safety of our community, both on the streets and also as you enter the school facilities across Duval County. And really, it's not just a Jacksonville issue. It really is a community issue. But I'm joined by Duval County School Superintendent, uh, Superintendent Dr. Patricia Willis to my left, Mayor Lenny Curry in Jacksonville, and Sheriff Mike Williams as well. And the reason why we wanted to bring in the leaders from these organizations is these are the three individuals who can maybe best influence the change that comes. Obviously, there's city council that can that can act on things. There's school board action that can come as well. But in terms of influencers in our community, we thought it best to bring the three of you in and have an open dialogue about some of the needs that exist, some of the steps that have already been taken in the last week, and really kind of let the emotions of what we saw in Parkland and the emotions of the killing of a seven-year-old boy, Tayshawn Gallon, uh, in the Durkeyville community, kind of level a little bit more and dig deep into tangible solutions. So that's kind of the backdrop here. Dr. Willis, I wanted to start with you. I was, I was sharing with you before the broadcast. Uh, my two children are in elementary school. And it was kind of a hard thing when I asked them, and I, as I picked them up from extended day yesterday, they both said, as I was talking about the day, they said that we did a code red lockdown drill today. And I forgot that that actually happens on an annual basis, but I think in that moment it was kind of like, whoa. And they talked about hiding in the closet and hiding under the desk. So clearly there are steps being taken at the local level and within schools immediately in the days and week after Parkland are there any changes? Are there any decisions that you've already made to begin to implement in the local school district? Thank you. So actually, when we come to this place where we are, you know, for our schools and for our children, uh, it, for all of us, it, it's kind, it kind of takes us aback because school is the safe place, the safe haven. And we want it to stay that way. But absolutely, following the, the tragedy in, in Broward, Initially, we pulled together our leadership team to look at the processes that we have in place in the district. What are the, what are the things that we know we have in place? Let's review those. So we did that from the leadership level. And from there, we actually communicated out with our principals and said, here's what we need to do. Schools have safety plans. We have safety teams. Now is the time for us to bring those faculties together and remind them, walk through those things that we normally do. That happened, as a matter of fact. And so probably as a result of that, uh, the cold red or cold yellow that the students experienced was because they, this was the time to make sure we all reviewed, understood that. So those things happened for us at the schools. And then certainly uh, at the district level, again, we're just talking about how do we continue to uh, upgrade, support, and ensure safety of our students. One of the most memorable quotes that I heard from the president's listening tour came a uh, listening event at the White House yesterday was a parent saying schools are soft targets. What are the soft targets that exist right now and how do we address those at this moment and harden those targets? 
Well, I would say schools are soft targets. That would be because schools are supposed to be safe havens. We, they are open. Schools are open. So we have to be careful that also we don't send a message when students come that they feel like they're in a, a, a lockdown rather than just a drill for that day. We want it to be open. We want it to be engaging. We want it to be fun. So it seems like that. But one of the things, when you're reviewing those systems, you have to make sure that, uh, first of all, all of our staffs have, uh, uh, every teacher, every employee has a badge. There's a way for visitors coming in and out of that building. You can tighten that. We have to tighten that. We have to make sure that those visitors are going by the office. They have a visitor's badge on. We encourage our staff, if you happen to see someone walking in the hall and they, you don't see a visitor's pass, or it, they, for whatever reason, feel free to say, may I help you? Why are you here? So tightening that ensuring that, again, we have school resource officers in all of our secondary schools, a rotating schedule visitation to our elementary schools. So really, that, that that's, I think, is the tightening of, of the security. You met yesterday with Sheriff Mike Williams as well. Sheriff, would you agree that schools are, in some ways, soft targets? What are the vulnerabilities? How can we better address those? You know, I, I think you've got to talk about, as, as the superintendent just did, you talk about infrastructure and you talk about culture inside the schools, I mean, with the teachers and the staff. Uh, th those are things that over the years people have gotten more used to, uh, and we need to continue to, to improve upon that. So the example she gave of someone walking in the hall without a, a badge or a pass, you know, confronting that person professionally, hey, can I help you? I mean, those seem like small things, but, but really uh, those are important parts of, you know, any kind of school security plan. It's, a, it's an important part of, you know, developing the culture within the schools that, that we do confront safety's being on the on the forefront of, of their minds. I mean, so you know, educators are there to educate, and they are there to, to, to make the environment, you know, fun and a, and a, obviously a, a, a nurturing learning environment. Um, but unfortunately, today, everybody's got to be part of the safety and security protocols. Everybody's got to be part of the plan, and that's got to be something that again, is embedded in the culture, and, and I know the superintendent believes that as well. Leading such a large large organization, I'd imagine, sheriff, in the week since Parkland, you've probably jotted down some thoughts about uh, you know, what, what observations you would make on the response, or even maybe how uh, things are being discussed on the public uh, front. Any, any tweaks, changes, conversations that you're already beginning to talk about as it pertains to local community security and safety and security within our schools? You know, one of the things we talk about a lot is educating uh, the public. We've been engaged in, uh, and, and we always look at our own policies and procedures and response protocols constantly. We're doing that. We, we've been engaged in this type of incident review since Columbine. Uh, but I think one of the things where we can improve as a community uh, is educating the, the community more on how they respond or what, what some ideas or some things that they should do in an event like this. Uh, that would help us. And I, and I think we, you know, we're here. What are some of those things? Give us examples, specific tangible examples that someone listening now can begin to implement today and begin to implement as we wind down the school year. It's right around the corner. Right. So, so here's a couple of things that we talk about a lot when we got to the community. So if you're talking about a school, and again, you're talking about infrastructure, you know, being able to, here's a question we get all the time. Do we lock in place or do we, or do we try to get away? You know? uh, and I always tell people, look, if you can separate yourself from that individual who's causing that violence, shooting that gun, has that knife, whatever it is, put as much distance as you can between that individual uh, and yourself. That's the, you know, again, you, you've got to know where you're going. You've got to have a plan uh, to be able to do that, to get away. And if you can't, then lock in place. And that's where infrastructure is important, to make sure that when you do lock those doors, 
it's not easy access, that the door does lock, and that, that there are things in place, again, to you know, protect people as a shelter in place, or if they have an opportunity, uh, you know, put some distance between you and, and the bad guy. Mayor Lenny Curry is here as well, and I'm sure you've learned some lessons over the last week since uh, Parkland. And I saw your tweet uh, last night uh, saying that you typically have not watched a lot of the national news coverage over the last year, but you were watching that uh, town hall in Sunrise where Senator Marco Rubio was face-to-face -face with some really tough questions. Political questions, yes, but in many ways just tough questions about supporting certain things when it comes to gun rights. Have any of your opinions changed or evolved even in the last week since what we saw with kids running for their lives out of a high school? Well, I think, uh, as I've always said on any tough issue, uh, on any issue that affects our community, that I'm open to working with anybody, uh, listening to anybody, and uh, uh, to come up with ideas and solutions. But, you know, as we're sitting here, um, I was thinking, uh, clearly the two things, when you look at top priorities, it is the safety, the opportunities, the education of our children, and the safety of our community as a whole, uh, all people. And I think we all agree on that. And as uh, the superintendent was speaking about schools being a safe place, I was thinking about, uh, I've got three children, public schools. Uh, Hendricks Avenue Elementary is walking distance. So my kids have walked to school for years. And this morning, I watched my eight-year-old, as I have my other two over the years. I watch her walk through the backyard. I watch her go into the schoolyard. If there are educators out there on the track, sometimes they have events, I feel safe at that point, I go away. If they're not outside, I watch her enter the building. And as parents, we look at that as a safe place where they're being loved and cared for and nurtured by those educators. And the idea that, uh, that these tragedies have happened uh, it's uh, it's not acceptable. What can be done to, to protect your daughter on that walk when you start to turn around? Well, let, let me say this. Uh, so again, when I turn around, I either see her with educators, they have events on the track in the morning. The point is, once I see her in the care of those professionals that love those children, I feel good and I feel safe. We know, based on what we've seen, that's not always the case. Now, I will say as a compliment uh, to the schools, I know that when I go to Hendricks, I am going to have to go and check in. I'm going to have a, a name tag. And if I don't, someone is going to stop me. I've seen it happen. Uh, and so those are the kind of things that seem simple, but I think make a difference. Dr. Willis, one uh, observation I make, I also have children in the public school system. When I go to the front door, the door is locked. It's a great observation. But I push the button, and they buzz me in. I'm in the school now. Is that a vulnerability? Is that being addressed initially? It is. It is being addressed. Go ahead. You're fine. Okay. It's been addressed because uh, as we've reviewed our procedures, and I know that there's been discussions about, so do, if the, does the school have a buzzer or not have a buzzer? Here's the thing. The, the buzzer is supposed to be, uh, help us as a barrier and a deterrent, but if the, they buzz and we don't have a procedure for who's he asking, you know, who you have to see, or there should be some questions around who's coming in because just to buzz the door and buzz right in, you're in. And so there's been discussion about that when that buzz happens, there's a way to one see who's at that buzzer and there's a question that can be asked about coming in and just being vigilant about paying attention to that because that could be a vulnerability. We can't have false securities in assuming that just because we have a buzzer, you buzz it, but once that person access that building, they're in. So we have to be vigilant about that. You talk about uh, the school environment being a welcoming environment. I think about the, the preschool and after school events to the mayor's point about uh, what happens on the field 
beforehand. I think about extended day, very open campus, open environment. Are there specific conversations happening already about changes this school year or for the next school year about the preschool and after school events? So ensuring that those adults who have responsibility for the recreation or the academic support, that there are others there who are being the eyes for them. So that, and that they're paying attention. When we have students outside of the, the building and they're on the track, we have to keep looking and keep watching. So uh, just, I think, and I think we've heightened that for our, our teachers, for our, our staff. And so, yes, we've spoken with them about that. Sheriff Williams, we're going to have a heightened sense of that in the coming weeks probably and maybe months. But as we've talked about, uh, you mentioned Columbine. That's 20 years ago now. And even Sandy Hook, which is still, you think about it, and it immediately triggers emotions. But the reality is three to six months from now, we will waver and we won't be as vigilant. How do we ensure that that doesn't happen? Well, I think you continue to have conversations like this, and I think you continue to, uh, through those conversations and through some policies and procedures and exercises and you know policy review, that you keep this on the forefront of, of people's minds. So it's important that we don't just react and respond out of emotion, but, but there's some change that happens at the end of that so that, that the culture inside the school improves. It's good today, and, and like anything, it can get better. Uh, but the culture of, of hey, I, I am a part of the security plan whether I am you know, taking out the garbage or whether I am the superintendent, I'm part of the security plan of Duval County Public Schools. And so, and I know that's part of the culture of, of, of their organization. So those are the kind of things I think that we've got to continue to do is, is not forget about it, not, not let emotions run away with us, and then not follow through with things. But, but again, at you know, where we are today in our society, in our community, we all have to play a part in, in keeping this community safe. What's the role of city government when most of schools are funded through the state? Is there a role for city government to play, for city council to play in, su in addressing some of these issues? And can it happen in reality in this budget year, or are we, are we looking out years from here, Mayor? Well, well, I think one of the first things, as with any issue you're dealing with in organizations, if you're just reacting without relationships and engagement, uh, it's tough because you don't have trust in uh, and, and the three of us have had uh, conversations uh, numerous times on easy issues and on tough issues, which makes it easier then to get together when you have to. Uh, supportive of, you know, uh, with resources that JSO needs, I think that our, my budgets have demonstrated that. Uh, we are, the city, we just reorganized the way we deliver children's programs uh, for what we call at-hope kids. Um, so that's the prevention and intervention piece. And, and let me say something about that in light of what we've seen happen this week. When we created that new legislation for uh, how do we deliver services to children that have the most needs, there were advocates that really pushed for uh, mental health to be a part of that legislation. Uh, and it's included in there because of those advocates. And uh, I think that that is a, I know that is a very important piece of, of how we move forward uh, in dealing with uh, these, these issues facing our schools. I want to talk a little bit more about the mental health component and some of the tough questions that have been raised about even guns in schools, arming teachers and administrators who have specialties and trainings. We'll get into that as our roundtable continues with Dr. Patricia Willis, Mayor Lenny Curry, and Sheriff Mike Williams on News 104.5 WOKV. This is a special extended edition of Jacksonville's Morning News on News 104.5 WOKV. Now live from the Herald and Herald Performance Studio, here's your host, Rich Jones. 
Mayor Lenny Curry, Sheriff Mike Williams, Dr. Patricia Willis, Superintendent of Duval County Public Schools here as well. We were talking uh, on Facebook during the uh, commercial break on the radio about the idea of arming teachers, arming administrators. Dr. Willis, you, as a former teacher, you said you've given more thought to it in the last week or so. How are, where are your thoughts evolving, I guess, on the issue? I have given more thought to it. And um, I, I really didn't know if that would ever come to fruition. But even as we're dealing with situations like this today, I know that that could possibly become a reality. I really am not a proponent of arming our teachers. I think that it's a great, great responsibility for them. I need them to be able to teach, engage, create a, a nurturing learning environment for students. And I need for them to feel secure that we will make available the security they need. Should there be an armed um, guard in, the, in, in our schools? I think so. I think our school resource officers, but I don't know that that's the role that we would ask the teachers to take because yeah, I just think it. I think about the training and how much training that would be in addition to what they already have to do. So currently, that's where I stand on teachers being on. Sheriff, you were talking about it as well on video as well, that when you encounter someone with a gun and you have to make that decision, that's asking a lot of that individual, whether it be a teacher, an administrator, or one of the ideas we've heard as well is a retired military who could uh, you know, be working liaison in a liaison role within the school district. So whoever it is that, that's in that role, and again, I, I would agree with the superintendent, uh, I think that's too much to ask of a, of a teacher or a school administrator in, in, a, in a facility like that. That individual needs to have the proper training, uh, and it's not rubber stamp training. It needs to be consistent. So they've got to have in their scheduling the ability to constantly train. And again, because you're, you, again, as we talk worst case scenario, uh, probably one of the most challenging situations you can be in as a law enforcement officer is be in a confined space with another individual and, and talking about having a gun battle. I mean, that, that's an incredibly challenging position. We, we spend, you know, months and months and months on basic law enforcement training, and then people train their whole careers uh, for that exact type of event. So uh, to think that you're just going to have a one class and give teacher, a teacher a gun and check the box uh, is uh, I don't think it's it's uh, answering the question. We have a whole half hour that we want to delve in deeper into the issues beyond school as well, looking more broadly at the community and questions about raising ages uh, for gun ownership and can something like that try to address gun violence in the city of Jacksonville. We'll talk with Mayor Curry about that, some of the mental health questions that have come up as well as our roundtable continues on News 104.5 WOKV. This is a special extended edition of Jacksonville's Morning News on News 104.5 WOKV. Now live from the Herald and Herald Performance Studio, here's your host, Rich Jones. Joined alongside Dr. Patricia Willis, uh, Duval County School Superintendent, Mayor Lenny Curry in Jacksonville, Sheriff Mike Williams as well. And we, we left off uh, on Facebook talking about uh, some of the uh, threats that maybe have already been diminished uh, at the school level and even at the community level. And we don't even hear about it because, uh, unfortunately, in the news, you're only going to hear about the crime after it happened as opposed to how to prevent it for, or how it didn't happen. That can't necessarily be publicized. And that got us talking a little bit about the planting the seeds of cooperation between all parties in the city of Jacksonville. And this probably extends well beyond Jacksonville into Orange Park and uh, through St. John's County and into St. Augustine schools and whatnot, that these kinds of conversations have to be ready for the next generations when there's a new sheriff, when there's a new mayor, a new superintendent, or someone who isn't on an interim basis, that whoever is in that role, that 
the, the, the how we address these threats can be, can be taken. The concern is that since Parkland, uh, Superintendent Willis, we've had at least 17 known threats, publicized at least, mm -hmm. within the school system. That's troubling. How much of that is like copycat, I guess? And how are you all planting the seeds to ensure that once this dies down, in the years to come, the right kind of collaboration is in place to try to diminish threats before we see the worst case scenario? Absolutely. So, in, in, And we have seen a number of threats. And I think as a result of when there's a, 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 a tragic event as high profile as this, you, will, you see copycats. There's a trend that just follows that. But when we, hear, when we get the threats, as we get them recently daily, we take every one of them seriously. Uh, we have to. Uh, we make sure that we communicate to our um, school resource officer who but in collaboration with the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, we're on it to ensure that until we know that none of them are credible threats, that we are on it. So those threats do happen. And as again, I said, when you have something this high profile, you can expect that those, those will happen. But we, uh, on, the, on the other side of that, I think we are starting to talk about on Facebook is so how do we um, impact, make a difference for these students who would would be a part of this or, or someone speaking into their lives about their, their alternatives, their opportunities, or if they're dealing with situations. So Mayor shared with us his conversations that he has with his own students, his own children at home. And so what is happening for other children? Not every, other children. They don't all have that supportive uh, family structure, but there's a place where in our schools, I believe it makes a difference when our one teachers, because as I said, teachers are more than just educators. They're, they're, they're nurturers, they're guidance counselors too, they're social workers. They have those conversations with children that I truly believe make a difference for those children. And so um, I, I, those, those conversations do happen, and I think it makes a difference and it impacts what happens for these students. Mayor Kids Help Alliance is just getting off the ground. If we're sitting here a year from now, are we in the same situation? I mean, what programs are, are envisioned to be in place to ensure that we're not having this kind of conversation about dealing with a problem with uh, a solution that may be harder to reach each year? So. Sheriff and I got this question a couple days ago in the, in the face of the tragedy of a seven-year-old life being robbed and stolen uh, uh, from this community a few days ago. And here's what's happened in the past. You've had a, uh, you've had a moment in our city that, uh, that created necessary outcry. Uh, and then you had a creation of what was called the Jacksonville Journey, which, was, which were programs, prevention and intervention on kids that most need it. And that was funded at high levels for years. Uh, and then for whatever reason, uh, it became, I guess, an easy cut in tough times. I don't know why. I wasn't there when those decisions were made. Um, and so we began re-investing in, in those programs uh, when we got into office back in 2015. So we lost four years, five years, whatever it was. That's a lot of time. So a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old back then, 12, 13 now, lost gaps exist. The Kids Hope Alliance is a new organization that will deliver those services. And you're talking about a long play, a long investment here. And we have to get it right. But here's what has to happen. There has to be a commitment from the mayor's office, the city council, the schools to put pressure on the elected officials uh, to continue to invest in these programs and to continue to work hard to get them right, no matter what. 
good times, bad times, there has to be a long-term commitment. Because we're only a few years a few years now into reinvesting in these kids, and we're just a few months into create, creating a new organization. Sheriff, uh, we were talking uh, earlier on video, and you had mentioned uh, the conversation you had yesterday with the um, school district police chief about planting the seeds so that when you're not here any longer, that there still is that open communication and open dialogue. Take us into that conversation. What did that sound like? Right. So, uh, you know, as, as we've mentioned, uh, Mike Edwards, who's the chief of police for the Duval County School Board Police Department, is a retired director with JSO. Mike and I have a 20-year, you know, history of, of, of working together. Uh, so there's a, a, a relationship there, you know, uh, beyond a professional relationship. So a lot of things happen with Mike picking up the phone and calling me or me picking up the phone and calling Mike. And so what we talked about yesterday was, hey, let's put this protocol down on paper so when, when I'm not the sheriff and Mike's not the police chief, these things still happen. And so that, that's a step that you're going to see us take uh, in, in the near future. And, and, again, the things that need to happen are happening, but we just want to make sure, again, that, that we can – laid the foundation so uh, you know down the road these things continue to happen uh, and, and and people aren't having to have a conversation about what should we do you know after again after we're gone that there's already a, we leave a roadmap for someone to follow uh, mental illness has uh, come up in in the last week or so it typically comes up after uh, you know mass shooting events whether it be at a school or even at a concert uh, what we saw in las vegas um, what systems are in place is enough attention being addressed at the school level and at the community level, why don't we start with you, Dr. Willis, um, Superintendent of Duval Public Schools. Uh, are we addressing mental health well enough at the school level through guidance counselors and with teachers? Are we asking the right questions? I believe that there are actually some viable programs in place that address mental health. But I think we can always do more. We can always continue to train our teachers to know what to look for to even refer a student for assistance. So that those programs, looking at how we better train our teachers to catch it immediately, that's one of the things that we need to do. But our, our school counselors, they are doing their job. Students are referred. And, 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 and when we have situations like our, we, have, we have our crisis intervention team, for instance, where we, where we lost a seven-year-old boy. I spoke with the principal, and I asked, so what was our support like? What, what happened? He said, great support, right into the classroom where that student was, support for that teacher who was uh, uh, the teacher for that student. So uh, a crisis intervention team where we have psychologists, social workers, th behavior therapists who are working with students. We have full-service schools as a part of a partnership with actually other agencies in, in our, that where we have, there are eight hubs of full-service schools, and those hubs service more than 12 to 15 schools, and now full-service plus that, that partnership that they're working together so that those therapists can actually be based in the schools. We're doing everything that we can to get it right where students are. So if a parent and caseworkers, if a parent is hesitant to come to where the full service school is because it's a hub, and we can get a therapist in there who becomes a part of the school, whose parents see every day, we can better get assistance there. So is there enough? Absolutely not. Is there more we can do? Absolutely so. And we would be doing that. But I think that, yes, we're paying attention to that. We, uh, we work with uh, child guidance and getting rapid response to students. So there, there, are, there are programs and, and, and uh, systems in place to get service to students. But when it comes to mental health, we, uh, I think if we could get beyond the stigma of that there needs to be support for us mentally, then we can get things done, and not just for our students, but for our adults as well. Sheriff, you have a thought on that? I, I do. So, 
you talk about the mental health system overall in America, and you talk about it in our state. You know, our state is, is 49th in funding for mental health uh, around the country. And, and as the, 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 uh, the individual running the jail, you know, I run the largest mental health facility in Northeast Florida in the jail, and that should not be the case. So there are a lot of issues and a lot of deep issues and complicated issues that we have to talk about in terms of mental health in this community. The school board does a great job in addressing and providing services to children, but it goes beyond that. So when that 16, 17-year-old leaves the school, is there any continuity of that care? Is there anywhere else for them to go? Uh, we've made some, had some small victories in, in, uh, in recent years. The opening of the Comprehensive Service Center um, uh, over on, uh, on, on uh, uh, 33rd Street has been a benefit for us. It's a, a drop-off center. It's a, a resource center for people between uh, someone who's doing well with their mental illness and someone who's in full crisis mode. Uh, in this community, there's been nothing in between for years. And so we've got one of those facilities open today, uh, and, it, and it's, it's paying dividends. But, but we need more of things like that. Too many people in this community, the default plan for their family is to wait for their loved one who's, at, who's struggling with mental illness to be in full-blown crisis mode, and then we call the police. And that can't be the, the default plan for people in our community. We've got to do more in terms of mental health. Are there gaps that can be addressed then at the state level or well, at the city level on well, that? I, wanna, I just want to say a couple of important points were made there, and that is um, uh, the idea of stigma. Uh, you know, we have to have a culture and environment where adults and children uh, are not embarrassed. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. And they seek a conversation with somebody, and that person takes that conversation seriously and gets it to the right people and the right professionals and the right help. Uh, that, we, that is a very important point that was made here, and I, I don't want that to be lost on us. Um, you know, I would say, uh, again, I mentioned the Kids Hope Alliance. The original legislation, uh, we had a draft, and uh, professionals and experts in mental health came to me, came to my team, and uh, they made it very clear the importance of that being included. And, uh, and they're the experts and the professionals, and they'll work with that organization to ensure that not only is the money invested, that it's properly, you know, that it's put to good use. There's no one solution to, to the school violence question or the community violence question as well, but ideas on the table about raising the age to purchase a, a, a gun like an AR-15 or a rifle. Um, are those ideas that, that you all are more open to now in the last multiple years since we've seen mass shooting incidents? Or what vulnerabilities do you see in just throwing out an idea on the wall to see if it sticks? Sheriff Williams? So, uh, you know, I think after the, after the, the, the issue in, or the incident in Parkland, uh, you, you, have to, you can't not talk about anything. You've got to put things on the table, talk about it. Um, but, but I would say this, when you talk about community violence, which is, you know, every city in America struggles with some level of violent crime in their community, uh, in an issue like Parkland, you, know, you, you can say community violence and, and kind of give it the overarching umbrella, but there's a, there's a couple of different issues embedded there. And, and so while raising the age of, of purchasing a firearm may be an effective conversation for someone, you know, like the shooter in Parkland, uh, it may not be for the gangbanger or a drug dealer on the street because they're not getting that gun at a gun store anyway. So I, I think those are, di you know, again, different paths to the same conversation. Uh, that, that we have to have, but but very complicated, no, no doubt. We'll close by looking ahead to some of the next steps that you can expect to see both on the streets in Jacksonville within our schools as well as our roundtable continues. Dr. Patricia Willis, uh, uh, Lenny Curry, Mayor of Jacksonville and the uh, Sheriff of Jacksonville, Mike Williams as well. It's 949 on News 104.5 WOKV.
This is a special extended edition of Jacksonville's Morning News on News 104.5 WOKV. Now live from the Herald and Herald Performance Studio, here's your host, Rich Jones. I guess one thing that we hope to accomplish was at least to start a dialogue or start a conversation. Clearly, four people on a stage, three you know, influencers in our community and a guy on the radio aren't going to solve any any issue necessarily or come up with the one aha, what a great thing the president should be talking about this and Congress should be talking about it. But I do think that there are a lot of ideas and a lot of thought starters that those of us in leadership positions in the community may be able to take and carry forward. So as we close out, Mayor Curry, is, is there one or are there multiple ideas that really have you, um, you know, focused on, I guess, from a city perspective that can help with the big picture to make sure that, you know, that the now Parkland is always going to be known, sadly, for a mass shooting and 17 lives that were lost. How does, how does something like that never happen in another community in Florida, but primarily in Jacksonville, Florida? Well, we, we need to focus on the things that we collectively and together can actually take action on, have impact, and move, uh, and not just sit around and talk. And much of that has come up today. Uh, I'd be supportive of, you know, they talked about potentially having more, more law enforcement in schools. If that's an idea to move forward with, I'm supportive of doing anything I can to help that. Uh, a continued investment in children and after-school programs, uh, kids that have the highest needs, and, and to make sure we get that right. So, you know, let's pick two or three things uh, that we can act on, because uh, if we get caught up in, in, in debates that go on and on and on and on, action won't happen. Uh, but I think what you, I know what you heard here today is there is action happening, there can be improvement, and we're all going to work together. Sheriff, on your level, I would imagine that uh, a fair amount of, of dialogue happens that ultimately gets into the planning stages. Um, you know, as the mayor had just said, you can't, uh, or we were maybe talking about a little bit earlier, you can't necessarily just chase a problem by throwing a lot of resources at it. But is there room to throw more resources? We talked about the officers that are in place in secondary schools. Can we make sure... Uh, and I don't know if there is an appetite for it in every school. I don't know if I want to see you in, in my, my kid's school unless you're there to, to teach sure. the kids. But then again, is there room for that? What can we look for next in the next three to six months from your office and as it pertains to, to school violence? You know, and as it pertains to school safety and security, I mean, we have those conversations with the school board and the Duval County School Board Police and, and our interactions with them as well. But I think those are all options that are on the table, you know, whether it's armed security, whether it's another police officer, whether it's more infrastructure improvements uh, at schools, whether it's safety and security protocols that everybody knows and culturally everybody accepts and, and you know, is put, putting those things in, in practice every day. Uh, those are the kind of things I think that uh, here locally, uh, again, that we, can, that we can really impact and impact safety in the schools and in our community. Dr. Willis, as a parent, what can I look for the rest of this school year and into the 2018-2019 school year that helps keep safety but make sure that uh, my elementary school isn't a fortress for some reason where you got to walk through metal detectors and things like that. Absolutely. So we, we, we do want to ensure, I think that um, as professionals, as educators, as adults, that we have a responsibility that our children, that, that their innocence is not completely stolen. They do have a right uh, to have a world where they feel safe. And so in, in, our, in our role at the schools, we will be consistent about uh, looking at our practices and procedures so that it's not, um, we don't let our guards down, so to speak, that it becomes truly a pattern of what we do so that it becomes a part of what we do every day and, it's, and, it's, and students are not distracted because 
all of a sudden, you know, we, we're having a drill. But it becomes a part of what we do every day. And we can't continue to uh, have open lines of communication uh, with our partners at the school, JSO, uh, our partners at the mayor's office, city council, all of that, all of us. I think we can get so much done. I certainly didn't say it. If it didn't matter who got the credit. If all of us could work together, we certainly can get that done. There has to be a unified force. There has to be, and that has to be the message that we send to the community so that there's no fingers pointed. I tell you, it doesn't matter who we try to give credit or point the finger at. What matters is that we make the difference for our community, for our children. And, and so we will continue to make sure those practices are in place, that we have open lines for communication, certainly as long as I'm in this role and in this seat. That will happen. You're proud of some of those high school kids from Parkland and the way that they have uh, vocalized their concerns? I, I saw so, you smile as yeah, well, Sharon. Yeah, yeah, so proud of them that their voices are heard. Even as we look at yesterday was uh, a kind of a, a nationwide walkout day. And so we communicated to our secondary principals, even though in our code of conduct it speaks to demonstrations that students can be disciplined for. The message we sent was we're going to create a peaceful organized assembly where we support students. And if they want to write letters to Broward, if they want to write letters to legislators, we're going to create a space for that for them so it becomes peaceful and organized and not disruptive. We hope it was a thoughtful discussion and that some of the ideas can maybe stick in our community. And, and obviously, there's the accountability piece. So maybe we'll check in in a few months and see what sort of a, a, impacts have been made in the community, what may happen next. Mayor Lenny Curry, Sheriff uh, Mike Williams, and uh, Dr. Patricia Willis, Superintendent of Schools with the Duval Public Schools. Thank you all for being here today under the circumstances, but still to look forward to try to find some solutions. We appreciate it. If you missed any or all the broadcast and you're just now catching in, uh, just open up the WOKV app for a podcast in the next little bit. We'll also have it on Facebook. Uh, and uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you can also watch on CBS 47 and Fox 30, Action News Jacks and actionnewsjacks.com. We appreciate you tuning in. And to keep the open mics coming, a special Mark K two-hour edition coming up next on News 104.5 FM and AM 690. If your restaurant has slow bathroom drains and grease blockages, call Superior Plumbing and Pipelining. Superior Plumbing and Pipelining's high-pressure sewer jetting and camera inspection of the drains will assure your peace of mind at your restaurant. Request a free estimate at superiorplumbingjacks.com.